August. Thanks for reading that passage. I, I had to laugh a little bit as you got to the part a good ways in that's when you said, what more shall I say then? <laughs> Time would fail me to tell of this and this. So this morning, I, I want to look into the passages that we've just heard and draw on them as a way of renewing our sense of who we are as a church, of who God is continually calling us to be. And as we move along, I'm going to key in on our vision and mission as Church of the Lamb. Now, a lot of you will remember that back in September, Scott made an announcement that the parish council was starting a conversation about the future for Church of the Lamb, especially related to uh, physical space. So I'm also going to try to lay out more fully why and how we're doing that, what that process looks like as I go along. Now, when Katie and I first moved to Harrisonburg in 2014 to work with Church of the Incarnation, the church started this series on the story of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 24. And it was during this series that a conversation developed about a potential church plan to be located either in the suburbs of Harrisonburg or in, the El in Elkton. And of course, we, we know where that church plan ended up, right? And at least as I remember it, the life of Abraham, this uh, section of scripture was something of a seedbed from which some of these conversations grew and took shape. The call by God to leave a place of comfort and familiarity, to take a risk and trust that you're going to come out okay on the other side. Not only this, but to receive blessings from God in such a way that you then turn and offer them back to God as a way of blessing others. These things from the life of Abraham were on the forefront of our minds as we went into this conversation. So as Incarnation considered sending out a group of people... They would, this would involve sacrificing friendships and on a certain level, uh, sacrificing a measure of comfort. And as many of you considered actually being that group of people who would be sent out or pushed out, whichever you interpret it as, the experiences of Abraham were in the mix of all of this. They were the air we were breathing. Now the story became more personal for uh, our family later on. Some of you will remember that early on we considered pursuing the, this pastoral role at Church of the Lamb. But we were torn between the possibility of a call and the draw of family that was 20 hours away. And we were so unsure that we eventually decided not to pursue this. Now later on we made a trip to Texas and Louisiana as a way of seeking out opportunities but we returned with nothing. And even then, we had no concept that Church of the Lamb was open for us. At the time, Church of the Lamb had what I thought was a shoe-in candidate. But then, suddenly, unexpectedly, it was as if God opened these closed doors uh, on both sides. And our own personal reservations of rooting ourselves far from family, these were by no way resolved. <laughs> they weren't. But it was clear enough that God was calling us so we could take this leap of faith. We could trust him with those struggles. And really, it was knowing the stories of Abraham, the way God had worked in his life that enabled me 
to take the leap. To live with a a tension of wanting comfort and familiarity, but following a call into something that was completely unknown. Now, as you move through the Bible, Abraham's story becomes the shape for all biblical Christian living. These three verses in Genesis chapter 12 have been called the hinge on which the rest of the Bible turns. So the psalm we read earlier, bless us, O God, make your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. This is the same way God speaks to Abraham, isn't it? I'm going to bless you so that you can turn and become a blessing. I'm going to bless the entire earth through you. And the word that God speaks to Abraham when he says, go to a land that I will show you. This is the foundation for the word that Jesus speaks to us as Christians. Go and make disciples of all nations. See, the only thing that's changed here is that the promise of land has become more about people than it is about just land itself. Abraham was only going to see a small portion of the land that God had promised him. Every piece of ground on which Christians now stand belongs to Abraham because we are his children and we claim more and more territory for Abraham every time we bear witness to Jesus. Elkton belongs to the children of Abraham. All of this belongs to him. Then, of course, there's also Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Abraham's act of sacrificial obedience fits within the larger tapestry of how God is calling all of his people to live in the world. He calls us to give ourselves for something we're not going to obtain in this life, to live not for ourselves, but for him and for future generations of believers. One of the places I find the stories of Abraham the most challenging is in its relentless call to faith. There's no point after Genesis 12 in which Abraham is permitted to transition from living by faith in God to living by his own ingenuity. Okay, Abraham, you've done it for long enough now. Now I'm going to let you go on your own way. There, there's never that. God's promises to Abraham are all dependent on one thing that Abraham lacks. A child. And at one point, he and his wife discover a way around this. For Abraham to have a child by a mistress. But this proves to be the the wrong way. God is relentless in calling Abraham to a genuine faith and reliance on him. So finally, after years of waiting, God gives Abraham and Sarah a child. Can Can you just try to imagine their joy? This elderly couple never able to produce fruit together, and finally, at the end of their lives, they produce a child. Imagine them holding Isaac in their arms and looking at each other. But years later, God calls on Abraham to do the impossible. Leaving his father and everything that he knew would be nothing compared to this. To take this miracle child, the promise for which he had waited for so long, and offer it back to him as a sacrifice. As appalling as this story is on an obvious level, 
What's equally shocking is that Abraham actually does it. In all the chapters of Genesis 12 through through 24, there are many places where it seems like Abraham lacks the ability to do what God commands. But in this place, he does it. There seems to be no reticence on his part of obeying God in this command. Near the end of his life, after years of exercising faith, Abraham might be growing weaker in his bodily strength, but he's not weak in faith. And this is such a contrast to the American way that we live in. The American way is that as you get older, your life is supposed to become more secure. You take less risks, right? Talk to those who manage your retirement. You want to take less risk as you get older. But the way of faith in the Christian model is that as you grow older, you become more mature in faith. The way of faith becomes more natural to you. I thought of Mr. Ken Hansen as I was preparing this. Because Mr. Ken spends most of his days in bed. His body is clearly growing weaker. But every time we visit, we'll talk, we'll share communion, at the end we'll pray. And most of the time I'm finishing up a prayer and I'll barely say amen, thinking we're done. But then before I can get it completely out of my mouth, Mr. Ken jumps in and he's praying. And he prays for everything and everyone. Anything he's heard about the church, he's praying for it. Mr. Ken's body is weak, but his spiritual senses are strong. And this is the way it is to be with Christians. As we get older, we might become weaker in our bodily strength. But there is a sharp edge in our faith. The Abraham story is our story. This is the life we live as individuals. A life of being continually called to fresh forms, expressions of faith and reliance on God. Of repeated calls throughout our lives to move on from places, not necessarily physical places, but places nonetheless of comfort and familiarity to move into the unknown. For many of you, this could mean a second career later in life when it makes sense to no one in the outside world, but you sense it as a distinct call of God. This is what happened to John. If you ask him about his story, he was a teacher in the sciences and and then became a Christian and went to teach preschool. This is the kind of crazy thing that can happen to Christians. Now, this is also who we are as a church. We should expect that throughout our life together as Church of the Lamb, we are going to be called on to walk by faith together. This is what a group of you did four years ago when you planted Church of the Lamb. We had no idea what was going to come of it. How God would provide for and lead this church. And look what he's done. If you've been here since the beginning, it's amazing to look around and see this. This space that has been created as a way of blessing this community with sacred beauty. And then the new faces that we see around here who are blessed through worship and community. Not to mention the way that God has matured many of us along the way. 
The way he's used the adventure of faith to shape us into deeper Christians. Like Abraham, who picked up blessings everywhere he went. We came and God has blessed. Certainly as we consider the future, God is calling us to continue on the way of faith. Whatever that is, it will be a way of faith. No doubt like Abraham, God will continually call us to turn outward with the blessings he pours out on us and to bless others with those things. To make sacrifices in offering up these blessings. Any person or group that tries to hoard God's blessings will find those blessings taken from them. This is just the way it works. So what does it look like for Church of the Lamb to continue in faith, to continually turn to bless others? Well, here's one thing that I want to say, is that when planting Church of the Lamb, there was a smaller group of people involved. Now, for Abraham to walk by faith, it, it was he had to consider his family, right? But when the group gets larger, walking by faith becomes even harder, because there are, all the fears are multiplied. All the questions are multiplied. So as we continue to think about what it means to walk by faith, faith as a church, this will get harder and harder as we move along. As we add more people into the family. Now here's where I'm going to share with you the conversations the parish council is having. Because this is what the conversations revolve around. What does it mean for us to walk by faith? Now, these conversations have evolved along the way, and our own understanding of the conversations has evolved. It's still evolving, so I'm going to share with you where we are now. And no doubt, you're going to have questions, and I'm more than happy for you to talk to me and talk to a parish council member. And to be frank, the parish council is not wholly in agreement about all of this. We're still processing what this looks like. We're having to learn to walk together even when we disagree. And I'll talk more about that in a minute too. Now, one of the most normal ways God blesses a church and uses a church to bless others in a community is through growth in its worship. Through people. God draws people in to experience life, to be transformed through scripture and community. And then those people go out and they bring more life to the community. So last year, 2017, our church grew significantly in this way. And again, you can look around and see this. The Kirkpatricks, Doherty's, Glicks, Hubers, McDaniels. I, I, I could go on about this. And it's been wonderful. We are so glad all of you are here. You make our church better because you're a part of it. Now, this year we have new one new family. Mom, Dad, we're glad you're here. <laughs> All of us on the parish council believe that God is going to cause our church to continue to grow. We believe this. And we talk about growth not merely as numbers, but as a form of spiritual fruit. God's blessing on us so that we can then turn and bless others. Now, one way of thinking about this is that we don't have an option to stop growing or to limit growth in any way. Actually, we're called to invest in growing. 
So this is one reason we've hired Kelly Ostergren as director of ministries. We've started some things here at Church of the Lamb, and there are things we'd like to start, like youth ministry. But to do these sort of things, we have to invest in someone to do that. So we're doing this in faith. We don't have all the funding for uh, 2020 to be able to do this. But we don't see this as living outside of our means as much as we see it as an investment, a call to move out in faith. And the knock-on effect of investing in this, by God's grace, will be that we grow. That our family will get larger as a spiritual fruit of the work that we're doing, of investing in people, and of sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And if you ask a lot of families in this room what you have to do as a family grows, you ask the Dormans, you ask the Robertsons, you have to make accommodations as families grow. Now, listen, this space is beyond wonderful. It's nothing less than a gift from God. Very few churches receive this kind of gift so early in their life together. We just came back from Synod. We're we're with all kinds of churches who were also church plants. And very few of them receive this. They're envious of this. This has become a home. And it's a place where we've become a family. And that is always hard. Now we realize that we don't have to move out of this place tomorrow. We realize that. It was a a leap of faith just for me to preach this sermon because many of you were not here last week. (laughs) But we know that we can't cap ourselves here. We know that. Frank is going to talk about the budget in a little while. And the budget's one way of talking about this. But truthfully, even if we could survive in this place without growing anymore, that is not the spirit God wishes for us. We're okay here. We're okay with this number of people. We don't need our family to grow any larger. No, that's not an openness to receive blessing and then to turn out and to bless more. So as hard as it will be, God will only bless us and use us more as we make room for others. And again, while we don't have to leave tomorrow, we also can't wait until our room is completely full to think about what to do. The discomfort doesn't bother a lot of us. We don't mind being uh, close to each other. I mean, there are some people we don't want to be close to in here. But we don't mind being close to each other for the most part. But the people that it would bother are the people that we want to bless. The new ones that we want to bring in and receive. And waiting till that point to where it creates discomfort. This is part of the conversation we're having. Now here's the other piece of the conversation. We've noticed that most of our growth has come from somewhere else in East Rockingham, outside of Elkton. Penn Laird, McGackiesville, so on. So about half of our church comes from outside of Elkton. And we always knew to an extent that this would be the case, but what we couldn't do is anticipate how we respond to that. We always thought people would come in and they would help us bless Elkton more. And that has been the case in a big way. But 
we've realized that we also need to recognize the other communities of East Rockingham as part of our mission as a church. <clears throat> that our church can't be only for Elkton, that it is also for the larger, the other communities of East Rockingham. So we need to make these communities part of our larger vision. And you might have noticed one of the ways that we're doing this, just in our language. So originally in our vision, if you were a part of Church of the Lamb from early on, we said we're a church for the glory of God and the good of Elkton. Now last year we added on, we're a church for the glory of God, the good of Elkton, and East Rockingham. And several folks said, expressed that they were grateful for that, that it made them feel apart. But then because Elkton is included in that East Rockingham, we've started saying we're a church for the glory of God and the good of East Rockingham. <coughs> now, even with this, I hope you'll notice that today in our prayers of the people, we're still praying for Elkton. There is no sense in which we're trying to be less for Elkton. But the question we're needing to ask as a church has grown. Now we're needing to ask, how do we be a church for the communities of East Rockingham? So as we talk about a future location, about how to bless this area, this is one way I've asked the parish council to process the question. And again, we're, we're not all in agreement. We're processing the question. I think that all of us are open to God changing our minds. But currently, there are several of us who think that a location more central to East Rockingham would enable us to continue to grow from the communities that we've been growing from and to continue to bless Elkton and the rest of these communities. Now, here's another question that makes this complicated. All of us come from different backgrounds and denominations. All of us have experienced different ways of churches making decisions like this. So how are we walking through it? How is this decision going to be made? Well, first, we are walking through it as a body of Christians, not in the way that Republicans and Democrats make decisions, for instance. Not in the way that liberals and conservatives walk through things. So, you know, we're not wholly in agreement. And if we were to take a poll here, we'd probably be less in agreement than we are now. So here's what we need to remember in this. It wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with one person being sinful and another not. Because one and another have different opinions on this. This is something we have to remind ourselves of when we disagree with each other over issues that are not moral or doctrinal. It would be sinful for any of us to accuse each other of sin merely over our opinion on this. This isn't that kind of matter. We are a body of Christians, so how we make a decision like this, the character that we display in it, is just as important as the decision we make. And truthfully, it's not until we've really disagreed with each other that we've really learned how to love each other and be committed to each other. It's when we walk together in faith that we really learn to love each other. And I think that's part of what God is doing here. Whatever decision we make, if we do it together, we will be stronger as a church because of it. Now, second, our structure as an Anglican church 
does provide us with a framework for how we make decisions. Just like a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church would provide them with a framework for how they make decisions. In Anglican churches, one really simple way to think about it is that the pastor is charged with the spiritual leadership and vision of the church under the authority of a bishop. I am accountable to a bishop. And if there is a concern about me taking advantage of people or using spiritual authority in a coercive way, then I would be reported to a bishop. That concern would be expressed and the bishop would talk with me. Now the parish council represents you as a congregation. You you vote on the parish council. And it's charged with the financial leadership of the church. So the parish council and I work together to make decisions, but along the way, we listen to the congregation. I've been talking to many of you throughout this process, and I'll continue talking with many of you. We also have a people's warden on the parish council whose very job is to represent the concerns and will of the congregation. So in this case, we're going to continue to listen. We're going to continue to talk together. To pray and discern. And soon we're going to start talking more about actual possibilities for locations. And we'll talk to you about that. We'll get a feel for where you are. But then at the end of the day, the parish council and I will have to make a decision we believe is in the best interest of God's mission for our church and his kingdom work here. And this might not be unanimous. But whatever we do, we will seek to do in love, in prayer, committed to each other's well-being. To God's good for us. Okay. If you're still listening, I want to close by reminding us of the three ways we seek to carry out our vision of being a church for the glory of God and the good of East Rock. And I'm going to flesh this out. I'll flesh out a little more of what I see God doing at Church of the Lamb. We carry out our vision through worship, discipleship, and evangelism. Worship, discipleship, and evangelism. Now, worship, without a doubt, is the most important thing we do as a church and as individuals. Sunday after Sunday, we gather with the people of God. God gathers us here. To join the worship of the saints and angels, to sing, to pray, to listen to his voice and to receive his body and blood to be sent out again as his servants in the world to bring life. We are, if you want to put it in a short definition, we are a worshiping community. This is who we are. What God has blessed us to do here is to create a beautiful, sacred space that leads people to worship God. This is what so many people say when they come here. This space is beautiful. I heard someone who was uh, looking at office space yesterday say, this is in Elkton? This is amazing. Whatever we do in the future has to be connected to this. Now, there's a growing sense in me that one way Church of the Lamb can bless the community of East Rockingham long term is to be a church that's connected to the land of this place. This is an agricultural community. What we, I think God could call us to do is to create a space of holiness that's connected to natural beauty that draws people into worship. 
So there's a sister church in our diocese that caught this sort of vision early on in their life together. And several years later, it was a couple of years ago now, they had the opportunity to purchase a former plant nursery with land connected to it. This is now where they worship, but it's also being used as a sustainable organic farm. They donate some of their produce to the poor, and they have a CSA, a community-supported agriculture program, within their church. Now, in the years to come, there's going to be a growing suburbia that comes out of Harrisonburg into East Rock. And the gift a church can bring to this place and its people is to preserve and build a sense of the holy, a firm sense of place, and a spiritual refuge. And I think an Anglican church, with our love for the land, for beauty, and for this area, is specially poised to do that. Now, I know this is a dream. I know it is. That this could take a long time, and it might not happen in any of the ways we imagine. I know that. But it's exactly the kind of thing God could do. Because this is the way God works. God gives the seed of a vision. He calls us like Abraham to go to a place we don't know yet. To a land he's going to show us. And then we pray. We act in faith. And in his time he delivers a promise in the most surprising of ways. Now right now. A majority of the parish council believes that whatever step we take next will likely be a temporary one. One that gives us time to grow and discern a more long-term home. But as we consider that next step, we do think it should move us in the direction of this kind of long-term vision that we could have. So let me ask you to do this. Please do this. I'm sure you're going to have questions. You're going to have thoughts. Feel free to ask and to offer those. But also, will you please do this? Will you really pray? Will you really pray? Pray that God would bless the worship of our church, that he would draw people here, and he would lead the parish council and me. Listen, truthfully, what causes me, and I'm sure others, to lose sleep over this, is that we actually want to do the thing that will most bless people and the kingdom of God. We really do. And there are different opinions on what that is. And so what we need you to do is pray. We really need you to pray. We need God's spirit to make this kind of decision because we can't anticipate the things that will come. And so pray that he would give us holy wisdom. Now quickly, the second way we carry out our vision is through discipleship. And discipleship is growth in knowledge and love of God. These two things, knowledge and love, always go together for Christians. So knowledge without love devolves into pride and arrogance. But love without knowledge is just sentimentalism. It's like kind words that have no power, trying to live off of Hallmark cards and Lifetime movies. No offense against any of those. But you can't live off of them. The church is the ideal place to become a mature person because all teaching and knowledge comes in the context of community, of relationships where we also have to learn to love. So love holds us close to each other when truth becomes difficult to bear. And truth is spoken to us when our love grows shallow. So over the next year, 
we need to continue to commit ourselves to the work of being formed as disciples of Jesus. Of growing together in knowledge and love of God. And we do this through being present at worship, committed to the worshiping life of the church, and through being regularly connected to relationships during the week, to people who can pray with us and for us. People who can bring a meal to us during a hard week or take our kids where, when life gets really difficult. This year, I hope to see our church grow smaller as it grows larger. I hope to see us add at least two small groups as places where prayer and relationship can be nurtured. Now lastly, we seek the glory of God and the good of East Rockingham through evangelism. Evangelism is proclaiming the good news of Jesus in word and deed, doing good works so that others might see them and be drawn to God. One of the primary ways our church will bless non-Christians and the unchurched people of Elkton and East Rockingham is by doing good to serve them. By providing practical care for them and their need. This is how Jesus says he's going to judge Christians based on how we cared for the hungry, the thirsty, the lonely. Because these are the people with whom Jesus identifies the most. So as we look to grow, we will especially look to grow in this way. Giving ourselves to serve others with the love of Jesus. You know, all of our life together. Our worship and our discipleship, our growth in Christ, is oriented toward this goal. And the way that Abraham's blessings from God were oriented toward blessing others, it's the same for us, that we might receive God's blessings and then offer them up to bless others. This is why we exist. So that God might be glorified in our service to him. So that others might receive the good news of God's love and the hope of his redemption. And so will you also pray for this. How is Lamb to be a part of God's great work of leading this place and this people toward the joy of his kingdom? God really wants the people of this county, to this side of the county, to know Christ and to know his love. He wants them to be pulled out of poverty and cycles of addiction. God loves these people. How is Church of the Lamb to be a part of this work? We are a church for the glory of God and the good of this place. Worshiping and growing as disciples and serving in faith that God longs to establish his kingdom here. And he's given us the privilege of being a part of that work. This is what God has called Church of the Lamb for. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.